And good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Bayou City Fellowship Tom Ball. If this is your first time here, my name is Kevin Bear. I'm the lead pastor here at our Tom Ball campus. And let me just say, it is an absolute honor for you to join us. Uh, we are doing our series in the book of Acts. And so if you have a Bible, jump to Acts chapter four. That's where we're going to be this morning. Acts chapter four is where we're going to be. And just so you know, we're going to go through the book of Acts uh, through the fall and through the spring, uh, basically a chapter at a time. And so if you want to kind of be up to speed with where we're going to be next, uh, all you have to do is read the next chapter for the next week and you'll see where we're going. And we're really seeing um, the explosive movement of the church. That's what we're seeing in the book of Acts through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the apostles. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1, and, uh, and then pray, and then we will launch in. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1, says this. And they were speaking to the people. The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all those of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today for a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astounded and they recognized them as having been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And thank you so much for... Um, the examples in Scripture, the moments in Scripture when you, uh, you did amazing things through your people. And Lord, I know this morning there's many of us that uh, look at the, the work that you did through certain people in Scripture, through certain people in the Bible, and we say that that type of work could never be done through me. Those people were too perfect, they were too amazing, they were, they were too powerfully used by you, and And God, you would not do great things in my life because of all the things, all the baggage that I bring to the table. So Lord, I pray that as we look at your word and as we see the type of people that you use, God, you would change us to be the type of men and women that are used powerfully by you, that we could live a life of a lasting impact. By your grace, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, I want to show you a picture this morning, and uh, I just want to show you a picture of, of one of my failures in life. Uh, this is it. This is on my back patio. These are pieces of a grill. Now, 
uh, probably about three weeks ago, I took apart this grill uh, and out of the box and I kind of laid the pieces out and I realized since we had just moved into our new home, I didn't know where my tools were. Now I say my tools, they are tools that uh, my family owns. My wife probably uses them more than me, but these are tools and I didn't know where they were. They were in a box somewhere in a garage and, uh, and we're slowly unpacking our lives uh, it's just a painful process for me. Uh, and, and so I didn't know where they were. My wife eventually found them about a week ago and, uh, and knows where they are. And, and so, uh, but I got all the pieces out, so ready to put this thing together. And, and I lay all the pieces out perfectly ready to be used. And I realized I don't have the tools, nor do I have the skills to put the grill together. Uh, the other piece of this story that you don't realize is that this was a gift given to me about three years ago by my wife's brother. This grill in a box has made its transition three different times, three different moves. Uh, in College Station, where we, where we well, actually, I, we got the gift in Katy. We moved it to College Station, where it sat in a box for about a year and a half or so. Uh, and then it was moved here to Tomball, uh, to our rental home, and it stayed in that garage for about a year or so. Uh, and then finally, as we were moving all of our stuff out of pods into our current home, uh, my dad is like, where do you want to put the grill? And I'm like... If we put it in the garage, there's no way it's ever gonna get put together. Let's just put it on the back kind of porch and maybe if it's there as an eyesore, I will actually put it together. And this is how far I've gotten. <laughs> now, why do I start there? For sim this simple reason, I, I think when it comes to times in life, there are certain things that we feel completely unqualified to do, completely inadequate. Uh, and, and those things in life where we just feel like, I, I can't really do that. I really don't have the capacity to do this, no matter what the instruction manual says, no matter what the pe no, how many success stories might be there. Um, I, I don't have the, the qualities to pull this off. There's times in life when we feel unqualified where we don't measure up. And the same is true, I think, in our relationship with God. There's so many things that, that God can call us to do that we could be a part of, so many great opportunities that God could do. But if we're honest with ourselves, many of us feel unqualified to actually pull it off. And maybe, maybe there's a box somewhere of your failures. There's a box somewhere, and maybe it's just in your mind, or maybe it's actually a box in some closet of, 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 of reasons why you're not qualified to be used by God. We have used phrases like this, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not talented enough, I'm not old enough, or I'm too old now, or whatever the excuse might be, we have all of these reasons that we bring before God to say, this is why I'm not enough to be used by you. And we all have them, and we all carry them. And all you have to do is look back at stages of life, and you would realize, I I've carried these different excuses all through my life in different parts of life. And, and the truth is this, if you're depressed on that, the reason maybe God hasn't been used, using you powerfully in your life is because you bring more excuses than solutions. And the reason for that might be because you don't actually know what the solution would be. What are the solutions? Well, here's the main, main premise I wanna give you this morning is this. God uses common people to do uncommon work. God uses common people, normal everyday people like you and me to do his uncommon work. He does it all the time. He does it all throughout history and he's still doing it today. God uses normal, everyday people, unsuc unsuccessful, unimportant, ordinary people like you and me to do his amazing work. And so I want to give you three things this morning as we look at this text in Acts chapter 4. 
The first is this, um, the reasons we bring that God can't use us. Three reasons why God can't use us. And these might be your reasons. They're reasons why uh, the apostles were, were looked down upon in this moment. Secondly, we're gonna look at the resources for bold faith. And lastly, we're gonna look at the impact of bold faith. So begin with, we're gonna look at three reasons why God can't use me. Why God can't use us. And I think many of us use these excuses. Well, what's the scenario? What's happening? Well, we looked last week at at Acts chapter three and and there was an amazing healing that took place. It was the first healing that we see at the apostles' hands um, in the book of Acts. And it was a miraculous healing. A man had been uh, lame. He had been paralyzed for 40 years, all of his life. For 40 plus years, he had been paralyzed. And in a miraculous moment, he was healed immediately and he was leaping and praising God and, and suddenly that becomes known by the people in power, by the important people, by the people that were watching this from the outside. And that's what it says in Acts chapter one, verse, verse one, or chapter four, verse one. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming the name of Jesus. And it says that there's a, a group of people in this moment. These are the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And that's where the ministry starts. It starts in Jerusalem. In verse five, it says, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who are of the high priestly family. Who's gathering in this moment? Well, it's all the important people. It's all the people that had a political sway. It's all the people that had the right name. It's all the right people that were in the known crowd. Look at the names that are listed. They, list, they listed the high priest, the, the Caiaphas, and John and Alexander. It's likely that those were men from the high priestly family. They were, they were insiders. They were known commodities. Who were these people? Well, they're the Sadducees. They're the religious leaders of the day. It's the people that are part of the high priest, the in crowd. The first objection that we come to for why God can't use me is because we would say this, I'm not important like that. Like I don't have that sway. I don't have that, that insider Access. I'm not important like those. And, and, and one of the things that we see so much in our culture, especially even in Christendom, is this. We, we swoon to the celebrity. Like we want the celebrity person to validate what we're doing. We want the celebrity to value, uh, validate whatever it is that we're believing. That's why even in Christian culture, we, we, we kind of hero worship. Like, like, like we look at someone who's successful, someone that has it together, and, and we kind of want to get up beside that person because if that person or that celebrity kind of validates what we believe, sometimes we feel important. And that's why so much, even in Christian culture, we, trace, we chase our own celebrity. But God doesn't use the important people. He uses everyday people like you and me. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring the nothing things that are. Isn't that interesting? And and this was a slam that Paul is using to write to the Corinthian church. He's saying, God doesn't use important people. 
He uses people like you. And the people in the Corinthian church are like, oh, what do you mean? Like, he chose the foolish things in the world to shame the wise. Yeah, people like you, Corinthians. Like, oh. And, and at one level, you'd be like, yeah, God can use anyone. Ouch, that really hurts, Paul. Like, but that's true. God uses normal, everyday people like you and me. And there's a reason for that. It's because your value is not based on who you are, but whose you are. See, your significance isn't based on your name or your reputation or your renown. It's not based on who you are. It's based on whose you are. So the first excuse that we would use is this, hey, I'm unimportant, but that's, that's not legitimate. The second excuse that we would use is this, that, that we're not educated. We don't have all the right information. Jump down to verse 13. We're gonna get back to the previous verses, but this is what Peter and John, um, they, they basically proclaim. No, we're gonna talk about Jesus. We're gonna proclaim him. I'm gonna talk about that in a second. But I want you to look at the observation of these men. As these men spoke before these important people, what was observed about them in verse 13? It says this, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. The, the next thing that we see in this is that these men were uneducated. Now, how do you determine if someone's uneducated? You ever ask yourself that question? If you're having a conversation with someone, how do you know that this person doesn't seem wise, they don't seem to be put together, they don't seem to be educated in the highest schools? How do you know? It's typically the way they talk. And so when these men are talking about Jesus and proclaiming their faith, that they, there was something that was clear. Okay, these men haven't been trained. They haven't gone to the right rabbinical schools. They haven't been set at the right feet. These men are uneducated, unimportant people. What's so fascinating is that, is that these men, what was, what was seen about them is, man, they're bold. But gosh, they need to read a book, right? Like, like they're, they're powerful, but I don't think they have all the details together. What's fascinating is that these men were really unqualified to be speaking at this moment. They didn't have the training. They didn't have the background. They didn't have the know-how. And listen, the same is true with you. How many times in life you're like, okay, God, I want to be able to be used by you. I want to be used. I want to do something great for you. But here's the problem, God. I don't know how to read my Bible. I don't know how to start I don't know all the answers to the tough questions. I, I can't go share my faith with that person at work because they're so smart. They're so well-read. They know all of the ins and outs. There's no way I could engage in a conversation or there's no way I'm gonna go share my faith with my neighbor because, oh my gosh, it would be so awkward. They're gonna ask me a question I don't know the answer to. They're gonna be like, hey, why do bad things happen to good people? And I'm be like, I don't know, problem of evil. I have no idea how to answer that. Or like, like why do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? You're like, I don't. My mom told me, and that's what I'm going with on this one. And you're like, I, I don't know. I don't have all the right answers to the tough questions. I'm not smart enough. And listen, that, that's an excuse. That's a state. Some of those may be true, but that doesn't mean that doesn't need to be where you stay. They're uneducated. They didn't have it all together, but that, that didn't mean that God couldn't use them powerfully. And the third excuse, they're unimpressive. It says in verse 13, they were uneducated, they were common men. That word common means layman, ordinary, amateur. That's what that word common means. They were layman, 
amateurs. They were common, run-of-the-mill, good old boys. These are blue-collar men. They weren't powerful. They weren't impressive. They were common people, but God used them powerfully. You know who my favorite person that fits all of these descriptions is? I've shared about him before, but his his name is D.L. Moody. Dwight Lemon Moody. He was a powerful preacher. He was born in 1837 in Massachusetts. And at age 17, he, he, he decided to start walking with Jesus without a penny in his pocket, um, and he became converted by a man named Edward Kimball. And then he moved to Chicago saying, hey, I want to be used by God. And at 19 years old, working as a shoe salesman, he, he found someone with an abandoned saloon uh, that he said, okay, I want to have like a Bible study. He'd already been like uh, rejected from several churches for church membership. They're like, no, we don't want your weirdness here. Um, you're going to have to go find something else. He's like, fine, I want to preach the gospel. And so he finds an abandoned saloon that uh, can be used on Sunday. And he starts luring children in to teach them the gospel. He started out an abandoned saloon uh, in a slum called Little Hell, where he taught poor Irish and Scandinavian and German immigrant children. It was described to him, D.L. Moody, that he wore a disheveled suit. He made grammatical errors when he spoke. His Yankee accent must have sounded strange to the Chicago children. He pronounced mercy as mussy and, and heart as, as hot. And he reached boys and bring, by bringing them food and candy and sometimes clothes and let them ride his pony. He started luring in all of these kids to teach them the gospel. And he invited a friend, William Reynolds, to come witness him as he's leading this ministry in an abandoned saloon. And he says, the, <laughs> William Reynolds says this, the first time I ever saw him was in a little old shanty abandoned by the saloon keeper. Mr. Moody had gotten the place for the hold the meeting. I went in a little late and the first thing I saw was a man standing there with a few tallow candles around him, a little African-American boy trying to read the story of the prodigal son. A great many of the words he could not make out and had to skip. I thought, if the Lord can ever use such an instrument as that for his honor and glory, it will astonish me. And after the meeting was over, Mr. Moody came over to Mr. Reynolds and he says, Reynolds, I have one talent. I have no education, but I love the Lord Jesus Christ and I want to do something for him. I want you to pray for me. And Reynolds says, I had never ceased from that day, that morning, to pray for him morning and night, to pray for that devoted Christian soldier. And D.L. Moody became one of the, the spearheads of the second great awakening that occurred in America. This uneducated, unimpressive person that said, you know what? I just want to be used by God. I just want him to use me. Abraham Lincoln at one point came and visited that small shanty that he was ministering the gospel in. It's powerful. Can God use anyone? Absolutely. But what are the resources? What are the resources that were at the disposal of the apostles? What are the resources that were at the disposal of D.L. Moody? What are the resources that are at the disposal of you and me today? How can we be used powerfully by God? Let me tell you what, the same resources that empowered the the apostles, the same resources that empowered D.L. Moody are the same resources available for you and me. What are those resources? They're described in Acts chapter four, starting in verse eight. 
The first resource is this, the right filling, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Verse eight, it says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you well. Before they ever spoke, there was something that they had. And it was the filling of the Holy Spirit. We saw the Holy Spirit fall in Acts chapter two, empowering these men and <clears throat> And there's a particular expression that occurred in Acts chapter two, but that's not the only expression of the filling of the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit empowers you to do the work of God. And, and every genuine believer who has put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins has the indwelling Holy Spirit. Amen? The Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit that indwells every genuine believer. The Holy Spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit gives you spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit enables you to speak in power the Word of God. And it doesn't change the exterior, it changes the interior. It doesn't change what's on the outside. The Holy Spirit changes and transforms the inside. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay so that the surpassing power of God belongs to God and not to us. We have the power of the gospel. We have the person of the Holy Spirit living within us. And guess what? God doesn't change the exterior. He changes the interior. And there's a reason for that is because what we display to the world is the glory of God, not the glory of you and not the glory of me. God leaves us unimpressive so that he can magnify it. It's so interesting. Paul uses that word earthen vessels, jars of clay. Um, I heard a preacher talk about it recently and he's basically said it this way. He's like, he's like, God uses peanut butter jars. No one cares about the outside of the peanut butter jar. They only like what's inside, right? The same is true with you. Same is true with me. It's not the exterior that makes us valuable. It's the interior it's that the Holy Spirit, it dwells within you. We have this gospel in, in earthen vessels, unimpressive exteriors, so that the power belongs to God and not to us. So the right filling. Secondly, the right name. Verse seven, the, the rulers asked him, hey, by what name or by what power did you heal this man? And that's when Peter responds, filled with the Spirit. If we're being examined today, let it be known to you that it's through Jesus Christ, verse 11, the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. The second piece that they had was the name of Jesus. Your name is your, is your reputation. Your name is your significance. It's what you're known by. And, and when we're talking about the name of Jesus, what it doesn't mean is it, it's, not like, it's not like Harry Potter. It's not a spell. You can't say Jesus over things and then have it healed. We don't use the name of Jesus like, like casting a spell on things. We don't use the name of Jesus like we're conjuring something. Like if I tack on Jesus to it, then it's fine. That's not what he's saying. It's the renown of Jesus, the reputation of Jesus. It's who Jesus is. That's what the name of something is. We don't tack it on. But listen, we trust in the names. We trust the names. We trust in brand names. We trust in people. We trust in connections. 
And what these men said is, no, no, the name of Jesus is what we trust in. The person of Jesus is what we trust in. One of our values here at Bayou City Fellowship is a radical focus on Jesus. Why? Because there's no other name given to among men by which we must be saved. It's Jesus alone who saves us. It's Jesus alone who we serve. There's no other name that's as significant as the name of Jesus Christ, the renown of Jesus Christ. Third, thirdly, they had boldness in Jesus, verse 13. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived they were uneducated and common men. That word boldness is, is, is fascinating. It's confidence. It's confidence in intimidating circumstances. It's confidence in intimidating circumstances. But what was their boldness in? I think one of, the, one of the challenges culturally is we look at the word confidence or even boldness, what we assume is that it's an internal confidence in my own capabilities. That's what we mean by confidence, right? Uh, if, 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 you're, if you're sending your kid to school and, you're, and your teacher says, hey, I just want you to have confidence in this. What you're saying is have confidence in your own internal abilities to pull this off. Have confidence as you do that test. Have confidence as you give that speech. Have confidence as you deliver that line. And so that's one level of confidence that we use it. It's confidence, but really it's self-assurance. Like I can accomplish great things because of who I am, but that's not what these men had. They didn't point to their experience. They didn't point to their abilities. What they said is this, our confidence, our, our security is in Christ, nothing else. Our boldness is in Jesus, nothing else. Not our past, not our accomplishments, it's in Jesus alone. And let me tell you what, when someone has confidence in Christ alone, it is powerful to behold. It is powerful to watch. Martin Luther, he was at a tribunal in front of the Council of Worms. And it says this, it was a setting that made fear strike at the deepest part of him. And he went into this moment where he's in this tribunal where they're asking him to recant everything that he had written, everything that he had said as he stood against the people that were in power. It says this, that a table had been placed in the room where Luther was, where his books were on it. And he was asked to take these books and he looked at, over at them he said, he was asked to recant of everything that he said in these books. He looked over them and he was overwhelmed by the imposing authorities assembled before him. And in a voice that could barely be heard, he asked for more time to consider their demand and the emperor gave him one day. They brought him before the council of worms, demanded him to recant everything that he had said. He says, you got one more day. He says, back in his lodging place, Luther poured out his heart to God and he prayed. And there came a bold, unshakable faith in his heart. Later in life, he wrote about that moment saying, I was fearless. I was afraid of nothing. God can make one so desperately bold. And that's what we're talking about. Boldness in Christ Boldness in the person of Jesus Christ. Not self-sufficiency, but Christ's sufficiency. And the fourth piece that makes us people that have the resources of bold faith, number four, is time with Jesus. Verse 13, it says, they recognized 
that he had been with Jesus. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to underline or highlight or circle that phrase. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. See, for three years, these men had been walking with Jesus. They became fishermen, and now they're seeing them in this moment. Not, not several months before this, Peter had been running in shame because he was called out as being one of the people that was following Jesus. But we're seeing a very different person here. What caused the shift? Time with Jesus. Let me ask you this question. How much time do you take to spend personally with Jesus? How much time do you take personally talking with Jesus in prayer? Studying about Jesus by reading his word. Walking and spending time deeply with Jesus. Wrestling with Jesus. One of the most beautiful things you can do in your life is to spend time beating on the chest of Jesus. Asking him deep questions. Wrestling with him. One of the the things that I'm so thankful for, both in my time in college and in time in College Station, is that there would be moments when I would either go out on a run or I'd go out on a walk And I would be frustrated about something, or I'd be concerned about something, or I'd be stressed about something, and I would go on that time alone, and I would spend time praying, talking with Jesus, reading his word. One of the biggest changes you'll do is spending time with Jesus, and people will notice. One summer in between my uh, my freshman year and my sophomore year of college, I spent time, um, or sorry, my sophomore year and junior year of college, I spent time with my cousins in Colorado. And I was in a Bible study my sophomore year. It was my first Bible study to ever be in. And I'm kind of going along, reading the book of Romans, and none of it makes sense. And I go away that summer. And I spent time with my cousins. I'm listening to sermons. I'm reading the Bible. I'm praying to God. And I come back to that same Bible study. And I remember the leader stopped me after one of the weeks. And he goes, hey, something's changed in you. And I'm like, yeah, I've been like reading a lot of the Bible. And he's like, yeah, it's showing and about a month later on the, on the track team, the guys, um, as I was interacting with them, um, they actually came as a slam later on. They're like, yeah, yeah, that's Kevin. He's kind of into his Christian thing. They would have never said that a year previously. But time with Jesus changes you from the inside out. Andrew Murray says this, shut the world out. Withdraw from worldly thoughts and occupations. Shut yourself alone in, in alone with God to pray to him in secret Let this be your chief object of prayer to realize the presence of your heavenly Father. Corey Tinboom says, don't pray when you feel like it. Have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. A man is powerful on his knees. See, if you spend time with Jesus, he changes you to the inside out. And one of my prayers I pray before every sermon is this, Lord, Make us into the people you need us to be so that we can do the things you're calling us to do. Because if we don't become the people God needs us to be, there's no way we can do the things he's called us to do. Oswald Chambers says this, remember whose you are and whom you serve. Provoke yourself by recollection and your affection for God will increase tenfold. Your imagination will, no longer be, will not be starved any longer but will be quick and enthusiastic and your hope will be inexpressibly bright. Time with Jesus changes you from the inside out. And what's the result? 
We have our excuses. We have our resources. What's the impact? What would it look like if the people at Bayou City Tomball, you and me, really became changed? I mean, genuinely deeply changed. What would it look like if we were these types of men and women? What would it look like? Well, we got a picture of it in the last part of this chapter. In 23 through the end, we get a picture of it. There's four pieces I want to give you, four things that would change within you and within me if we were these types of people. The first thing that we would see is this, a boldness in prayer. That's the first result we'd see. They're released by by these men. They come back to the people that had been praying for them. And here's what they say in verse 23. When they were released, they went with their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers that were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to do. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. You see their prayer? They prayed for boldness. They prayed that this would continue. This same energy, this willingness to speak the truth out there would continue in boldness. In verse 31 it says, And when they prayed, all the people in that place were gathered together and were shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The first thing that would change is our prayers would become bold because we believed in a God who can do the miraculous. He can do amazing things. The second thing that would happen is that we would speak boldly. We wouldn't be so afraid. If we were genuinely changed from the inside out, we wouldn't be afraid of our neighbor or that person at work or what that person might say. We could actually speak with confidence in Jesus Christ. The third result is generosity. Verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were at one heart and soul. It was about 5,000 people. You see growth in the body of Christ right in this time. And no one said anything, no one... um, said anything that belonged to them was his own. They had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them. For as many that had fields or houses sold them and brought the proceeds to, of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and distributed to anyone that had need. The third result is a generous spirit. The people that are being changed by Jesus say, you know what, my my resources are meant to be used by God. My resources are at his disposal. A generosity with your things. And the fourth result, new bold leaders rise. Verse 36, then Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it to the apostles' feet. The fourth result, new bold leaders. 
This is the first time we meet Barnabas. Barnabas whose name means son of encouragement. Barnabas who later on is going to vouch for the apostle Paul. Barnabas who's later going to go on missionary journeys with the apostle Paul. Barnabas who is right at the forefront of the work of God as the gospel spreads to the world. When people are changed by the person of Jesus Christ, the impacts are incredible. I know right now God is raising bold, faith-filled new leaders in this church. Why? It's not because I'm great. And frankly, it's not because you're great. It's because Jesus is great. It's his name and his renown. It's his work that saves us. Amen? He is the name that's above every name. And it's in relationship with him and being changed from the inside out that you and I become men and women that could do more than we could ever imagine. And I know for a fact that as we grow in boldness of prayer, boldness in speech, boldness in just generosity, the right leaders will rise. And those leaders, they may go to the ends of the earth or they might just go to their next door neighbor with a confidence in Jesus Christ, a willingness to share the gospel. And when God's people become changed, it's fun. It's just fun. When's the last time you shared a story of salvation of a friend of yours or a neighbor or a parent? When's the last time you see someone change from the inside out? Let me challenge you. First of all, first question, what excuses are you bringing to God for why he can't use you? What excuses are you bringing? Number two, what development do you need to be used more effectively by Jesus? What development do you need? Number three, what impact do you hope to make by your faithful life? What excuses are you bringing? What development do you need? And what impact do you hope to make? My challenge to you is to actually write those things down. And let me tell you, as your, as your pastor, you let me be that for you. My commitment is to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus so that you can make an impact for his name as he leads your life. And whatever development you need, I want to help you to get there so that God can do all that he wants through your life. That's why we're here. As we close, I want to close in prayer. Our prayer team is going to come forward and and there's a variety of things that are needed for all of us. One of those needs might be for healing. That's the most amazing part of this story in Acts is that the same power that worked in raising Jesus from the dead, the person of the Holy Spirit, is present today. And some of you have a particular ailment, particular healing that you need. Um, Maybe it's physical or maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's spiritual. We want to pray for you. 
today. So come forward when, our, when the band comes up and leads us and come forward and receive prayer. Secondly, some of you need to receive salvation. Not church attendance, not joining another Bible study, not all of the Christian activities. You've never actually put your faith alone in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. Your faith is actually in you, not in him. And so for some of you is to put your faith alone in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. And we want to pray with you for that. So come forward, receive prayer, receive eternal life today. Thirdly, some of you would like to have boldness. Not spiritual BO, that's not what I'm talking about. But a humble boldness in Christ, a strengthening of your faith so you can speak. And so Lord, if that's you, come forward. We wanna pray that God burst that within you because God hasn't given us a spirit of cowardice, but of power and love and self-discipline. That's what he's given us. It's available today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you use common people, insignificant, unimpressive, uneducated men and women like everyone here to do your uncommon work. And so Lord, I pray that you would change us from the inside out. You would make us bold in faith. You would make us into the men and women you need us to be so that we can do the work you're calling us to do. And I know right now there's people that are thinking about maybe a friend or a coworker that they've never actually shared their faith with or never actually challenged in their life. Lord, I pray that you would give us a humble, Christ-honoring boldness to first pray and then speak. For others of us, Lord, there's healing that we need. Lord, I pray that we come forward and receive the ministry um, through our prayer team. Lord, I pray that you would make us to be the men and women that ultimately honor you. We love you. Thank you so much for this time. Amen.